This morning we uh, continue our parable series, and it's, uh, the reading is from Luke 15, 11 to 32. Luke 15, 11 to 32. And as you're finding that in your pew Bibles or on your phones, uh, let's come to God in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we give you thanks again. Um, being reminded that we are to give you thanks. And we give you thanks for your word. Your word which speaks to us, um, which spoke to the people thousands of years ago, but also to us today, here in this place at this time. So open our hearts to receive your word and all that um, you have to give to us through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to be upon us and us open, open to your power in our lives. That same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. And we praise you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 15, 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And he had spent everything, and there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This parable is often called the prodigal son. In the scriptures, it was labeled the parable of the lost son. 
But there's three characters in this parable. There's two lost sons. The younger shames his father. He runs away and he does return. And the older stays at home and shames his father and perhaps stays lost. We're not completely certain from this story how it all ends. So perhaps the point is not about the sons. But throughout history, there have always been prodigal sons and daughters, and maybe you have been one, or maybe you still are one. Or maybe you're waiting for someone else to come home. The parable talks about the sons, but no doubt is very much about the father. The parable begins with the father. The parable remains quite involved, or rather the father remains quite involved in this story. And the parable then closes off with the father talking to his older son. The father is a suffering, compassionate, gracious father. And this morning we're going to focus on the character and the person of the father. But let's just look at this word prodigal for a moment. But the word prodigal, you need to know, is not in this passage. It's not even in the Bible. And yet we've attached this word to this parable. So it makes some sense to define it. Prodigal doesn't mean lost or wayward. But rather the term prodigal means recklessly extravagant. The younger son was prodigal in the fact that he was reckless with his spending. He spent the whole portion of his inheritance. The father was prodigal in that he was recklessly extravagant with his love. There's a Christian contemporary song that's titled Reckless Love, and often the words reckless and prodigal can be viewed as negative words. But this father in this parable was reckless in a sense with his love. Another example of the of prodigal in the Bible is from 1 John 3, verse 1, where we hear the words, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God is prodigal with his love, and because of his prodigal love, we maintain our status as his kids. The Father shows extravagant love to both his sons. The younger son, he physically ran away from his family and life. And as people are listening to this story, there's one short line in here that would have left the ancient listeners gasping. The son asking for a share of the estate. Because that's equal to wishing his father dead. The son asking this, he may have well said, Father, drop dead, so I can have what rightfully belongs to me, which according to Jewish law, being the younger of the two sons, was one-third of the estate. The younger son is basically saying, Give me what I deserve. Oh, and by the way, I want out of this family, I want out of this farm, I want out of the village, I don't want anything to do with you, your family, and your people. The son asking for the inheritance is very offensive. His asking is a total rejection of home and of the father, and it stabs the heart. The father would be suffering. Well, in addition to drop dead, the command 
honor your parents was broken. And this too was scandalous. In ancient times, the normal minimum response, and again, that's the minimum response, would have been a slap to the face by the father. And this typically would happen in public in order to shame the son. In fact, if someone were to treat their father like the son did, it was actually family suicide. A son who dishonors his father would be written off. And there were times that even a funeral service would be held. And that's why at the, later on in the passage in verse 24, the father states that this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. Listeners to this story would have written this son off as dead. Even after the son dishonors and shames the father, the father didn't punish the son. The father still gave the son the inheritance. It was the compassion and love of this suffering father that allowed the son to leave. It was the love of the father that allowed his son to find his own life, even at the risk of losing it. It was love of the father that embraced the son's return. It was the love of the father that reminds the older son that everything the father has belongs to his children. It always has. The father loves both rebellious sons. And the father's been rejected by both sons. And yet he continues to love them both. There is nothing that these sons can do or say to him that will stop or even decrease his love for them. Yes, he still hurts. Yes, he still suffers. Yes, there's always consequences. The father likely remains shamed by the community. But that's really the community's issue, not his. The father does not let his own pride stand in the way. There is no way that this father was going to disown any of his sons. The son could have gone to the father and told him any devastating news, and the father would not disown the son. The father may have struggled with all this news, but never stopped loving his son. The younger son, having after having spent some time, which could have been months or even years, we're not given exactly how much time he was gone, but he spent some time carousing in a distant village, and he runs out of money, and he's convicted at one point to return to the father. And on his way home, he rehearses what he will say to his father. The younger son recognized that he himself is to blame for his own demise, and he knows that his father could not accept him back as a son, but perhaps maybe out of the kindness of his heart as one of the hired men, meaning that he's not worthy to be called his son. He's no longer worthy and expected to be part of the family. He has lost his status. But as verse 20 and following explains, the son was still a distance away. And the father was hanging out by the city gates all this time. Again, it could have been months, it could have been years. And he noticed from the gates, noticed his son from such a distance. And it was likely that the loving and suffering father went out daily to look along the horizon for his lost son, wondering to himself, is this the day that my son will return? Again, this son was supposed to be dead to his father. But the father 
did not follow the cultural traditions of the day. God's kingdom does not always match up to the way traditions and culture are. There are surprises and twists with God's kingdom. Finally, that day, as we said from a distance, the father could tell that this was his son coming home. And the father didn't wait for his son to come to him. The father initiated the process of forgiveness and reconciliation. The father was wrong. He was the one that was shamed. He was the one that was dishonored. And he was the one that was initiating forgiveness and reconciliation. The suffering father was not going to let anything stand in the way of his love for his son. This father was compassionate. This father was prodigal. He was recklessly extravagant with his love. And the father shamefully ran to his son. Noble men over the age of 30 in this ancient culture did not run. They were to walk proudly with their head held high, but not run. So here he goes again. The father was embarrassing himself by doing this. This kind of reception was unheard of. Furthermore, he threw his arms around his son and kissed him. And all the while the son was trying to speak, was receiving the squishy hug. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father probably didn't even hear a word of what the son was saying. And he continued to embrace him and love his son who returned. And the father accepts the son before any indication of repentance. The father said to his servants, immediately put a, the best robe on him. And it was likely the father's robe that is worn during feasts. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, because he belongs here with me. With these actions of the father, the son was shown to be restored to the family and equal access, again, to all the assets, even though his share was already spent. The son had walked away from the family, but his stat status was never in question, despite his rebellious and disobedient nature. As soon as he stepped back onto the property, everything was restored back to what it was. Before the father, his status never changed. Our God is wooing his children, he's waiting. He's calling them home. And he's assuring his people that the door is always open and that unconditional forgiveness has taken place and is possible. You see, the story could have ended at verse 24. But this story is not only about repentance and the return of the young son. And verse 25 begins a different story with the older son. Because the older son was also rebellious. The son was bitter. The older son was jealous. He was going against community code by not taking part in the feast. But once again, the father is extravagant and excessive when the father states, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In fact, this party began for the younger son but in verse 28, 
It was the father who went out from the party to meet the older son. And the father sought out the older son as well. And he pleaded with the older son to come, to come in, and to accept what is for him as well. The father is saying this to his son implies the love and compassion that he has for his older son despite his son's rebellious and disobedient nature. Just come. Please come. You begin to see the theme here? There's nothing that we can do in life that can remove our standing before God. When we believe that Christ died for all our sins, that means that every single thing that we have done and will do has been put behind us on the cross. All our sins have been forgiven without conditions at the cross. Our prodigal father has already put the plan of forgiveness into motion at the beginning of time. We know that story where Adam and Eve ran away from the Lord and he called them back. Through his son, Jesus Christ, God has extravagantly taken all our sins and made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Our extravagantly gracious Father is saying to his people, okay, If you have walked away from me, come home. And my love is for you. I forgive you and I'm going to throw a party for you. Or if you've stuck around, awesome. Come to me. I've forgiven you. And everything I have is for you too. This party is for you too. And let's celebrate. God is saying to each of us, freely receive my extravagant and free gift of grace. The only sin that is unforgivable is a sin of unbelief. Today we recognize that our Father God has already run out ahead to meet us wherever we are. Whatever we've done, nothing is too much for our Father to forgive. Our loving, gracious, compassionate, and forgiving God has already initiated the process to bring us home. The process of forgiveness and reconciliation has already taken place through Jesus Christ on the cross. Like the Father in this parable, Christ took ridicule and shame upon himself so that we don't have to. Christ embraces us with love and compassion. He pours his complete forgiveness upon us. Our Father in heaven has forgiven our sins to the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But that's only half of the gospel story. The other half is that we have new life in Christ. And we've been given a robe, a ring, Sandals, and our Father presents a feast before us to celebrate. We celebrate that we have been forgiven and we can walk around this kingdom on earth as saved people living for Jesus. We are sons and daughters of our Father God. We are brothers and sisters of one another in Christ Jesus. And that's something to celebrate and live out in our life. 
John Timmer, in his book, The Kingdom Equation, he states this about the parable. Quote, With the Father saying, in effect, You can never be my servant. You're my son. We have landed at the very heart of the gospel. For the gospel does not say, If you are sorry enough and humble enough, God will accept you. The gospel says that God's grace always comes first. That coming home to the Father is not an achievement of sorry and humbled sinners. That through the grace of God, we are already right with God. End quote. Timmer goes on to say that the moralists that we are, we constantly turn things around. We habitually cloud the gospel of grace with a series of oughts. We think that before the Father will receive us in his favor, we first ought to clean up our act. We think that before the Father will receive us in his favor, that we ought to live a better life. That's moralism. We're all sinners, and Jesus has come to each of us to extend his love and grace. And he is initiating a relationship with his people. Come home to Jesus. God has accepted us for who we are. Receive God's grace and respond to him. God has initiated his forgiveness of sins to both of the sons. And he calls us to respond by receiving his unconditional forgiveness in Christ. And by doing likewise. This first son repents. We don't know what happens next in this younger son's life. And it's noted in this parable that the older son, we're not sure whether he repents or not. It's not noted. But maybe it doesn't matter. Because I don't think that's the point of the parable. Maybe, more importantly, what matters is how the father recklessly and lavishly responds and on account of his love, how we're called to respond. And it's not always on the schedule that we have in mind. The father in this parable initiated forgiveness even before the son was home. Many churches are quite homogenous in that they're white, middle-class, Canadian, immigrant Dutch churches in our area. And so often we try to fit every single person and every single issue and problem in kind of this nice and tidy box because we have a need to try to figure things out. And we have to begin to think beyond the stereotype because many people in society don't fit in that same stereotype. In society today, many are single. There's others that are divorced, living together, some have same-sex attractions. And how do we recklessly embrace all people? The story talks about prostitution. There's not a lot of prostitution in our neighborhood, but there's still victims of abuse and human trafficking that's prevalent 
in our areas and in Ontario. There are young and old struggling with loneliness and mental illness. And how are we going to respond to people who may be different than the stereotype? So who is God calling us to reach out to and embrace this week? Where do we need to repent for not caring for the least of these brothers and sisters, as Jesus states in Matthew 25? And in our sinfulness, in our lack of repentance, know that God is waiting and offering his unconditional forgiveness to each of us. He's the Father embracing each of us and demanding us to embrace one another despite any sins and to share the reckless and prodigal love of our Heavenly Father. No sin is too great for the Father to forgive. No sin is too great for us to forgive. Yes, hurt and, conse- hurt and consequences are real, but God's love remains the same. I want to close off with the words that were already said in our time of confession. The words of Zephaniah 3, verse 17, and let these words soak in your heart and soul. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Praise be to our God. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, gracious God, compassionate, loving God, prodigal God, we come before you in awe. We come before you wondering how in your amazing love you could possibly die for us. That in your amazing love that you continue to seek us and draw us back to you. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you for your unconditional forgiveness and for salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And as a response of gratitude and thanksgiving, may we too forgive others unconditionally. May we embrace those who may be different than us. May we love others that sometimes are difficult to love. And we do this because you first loved us. Lord, we thank you that all of our sins are nailed to that cross. And we can say and sing that it is well with my soul. So hear our prayers, and we pray this only in Jesus' name, and not on our own strength. Amen.